What is up, everybody, and welcome to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Yes, another round of big-time pro days has commenced. Yes, the other day we had Florida, LSU, and Notre Dame go through their pro days. We saw a lot of possible or almost guaranteed first-round talent in those pro days at LSU's pro day. You had the likes of Jamar Chase, who I believe solidified himself as the number one receiver in the draft, even though most people, including myself, already had him as wide receiver one in the draft. I think he solidified that with a very nice showing at the pro day, being compared pro day-wise to that of DK Metcalf, which is something some people might look down upon, some other people might take awesome, because I remember his three-cone drill was not great, which is why one of the reasons why he ultimately slipped to almost the third round. I think he was the last pick in the second round. But 40-yard dash times, vert, the good stuff that people look to and go, oh, man, it's a great athlete right there. That's what Jamar Chase balled out. And in Florida, we had Kyle Trask, Kadarius Toney, and the star of the show, Kyle Pitts, my second overall player in the draft, best tight end by a country mile. And the best part about Kyle Pitts, and we've talked about this a few hundred, if not thousand times on the show, He's not just a tight end, which is awesome and gives you so much versatility on an offense. Kadarius Toney is not just a wide receiver. He played quarterback in high school, played multiple times at running back, can return kicks. He can do everything for an offense. And then, though he didn't blow people away with his 40 yard dash time, that is so. Kadarius Toney is a prime example of 40 yard dash time and, and football speed are two totally different things. That is a prime example of that. Because what do you run, a 4-4-140 or something like that? Which is not like jaw-dropping speed right there. I mean, it is very jaw-dropping speed for the average person. But for people that are like, oh, fast wide receiver, you expect him to be in the 4-3s easily. And he ran a 4-4-1? Oh, man, it's not that fast. Kadarius Toney is electric on the football field. He has done multiple plays of where it looks like nothing's going to happen. And he squirts it out for a huge gain. Or a touchdown. He did that multiple times at Florida. And then Kyle Trask, one of my favorite quarterbacks in college football last season. You can hear my love for Kyle Trask on Colin Company from the months of August to November. Me praising Kyle Trask multiple times. And then the end of the season, which is what ultimately led him to being almost a lock for the second or third round instead of a first round draft pick. The last two games of the season. And though you shouldn't judge a full season off the last two games of the season for Kyle Trask, they're the two biggest games of the season. Alabama, Oklahoma. The Alabama game, he didn't play bad. He just got outplayed by Mac Jones. And then the Oklahoma game, he threw three interceptions. Not just three interceptions. He threw three interceptions in the first half of the game, which is not great. I love Kyle Trask. But unlike the other quarterbacks, including Mac Jones in this, he is a freaking statue. Where Mac Jones gets put down a little bit because of his perceived lack of athleticism, even though he is a decent athlete. Kyle Trask is not that. And for other quarterbacks, they're basically guaranteed to go round two. I won't even put them all in round three. They probably will all go in round two. Is Kellen Mond and Davis Mills. Now, Davis Mills had his mock, uh, pro day a little while back. It wasn't this week. Kellen Mond had his pro day Wednesday. So we got to see him and a bunch of other Texas A&M players go out throughout their pro day. We'll talk about Kellen Mond, Davis Mills, and Kyle Trask more in-depthly in a little bit. And then we also saw Notre Dame's pro day with Jeremiah Wosu-Koromo, who's one of my 
favorite players in the draft, whether he's a safety, linebacker, nickel corner, whatever you play him as, Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa might be the best football player in the draft. This linebacker class is something crazy. We haven't really talked about this linebacker class that much. If you look at my top three linebackers for this upcoming draft, you would see the likes of Micah Parsons, Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa, and Zaven Collins as my top three linebackers in this draft. And then Jamin Davis from Kentucky is also up there as well. Jabril Cox is up there as well. But those top three, all of those guys can play multiple positions. You've heard me talk about Zaven Collins, the, the linebacker in a defensive end's body that can play safe with the athleticism of a safety. Jeremiah, Jeremiah Wosukoromo, as we said, we just said, is a safety linebacker and nickel corner all rolled into one. Micah Parsons is a standard linebacker, but has the abilities to play as an edge rusher as well. And Jamie Davis showed off his athleticism at his pro day the other day. So th- this linebacker class, it's a fun linebacker class. Nick Bolton, I forgot about him. He's more of a normal inside linebacker, not very versatile, but he's a no-nonsense type of inside linebacker for you. But man, this is a good linebacker class. Those top three, and you could put Zaven Collins either as an outside linebacker or as an inside linebacker who work out fine. Same thing with Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa. Now, Wosu-Koromoa is one of the smaller linebackers. He's about 6'1". I think he weighed in at 221 at his pro day on Wednesday. So we'll see where player where they put him. He could fall in that same category, not as not necessarily as good as he was in college, but in that same category of a Isaiah Simmons coming out of college, where we don't really know what his best position is. We'll list him as a linebacker, which was key when we saw Isaiah Simmons drafted last year by the Cardinals out of Clemson. I believe he they drafted him and said edge rusher. If I remember correctly, he could have said edge rusher or linebacker because that was key. What you're going to call him out as, because the commissioner says what the card says. What the card says is written down by a member of the Cardinals staff, or what they call it in as, and the person writes it down. So you go like, Isaiah Simmons, linebacker, Clemson. Okay, You go the player's name, the position, and college. So what that position is, is key. You'll see a lot of players like that in this draft. Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa is a big one. Are we going to call him as a linebacker, safety, whatever? Zaven Collins could be described as an edge rusher or a linebacker, whatever you want to put him as. Do they dare put Kyle Pitts as wide receiver? They easily could. It wouldn't look that out of place to call Kyle Pitts a wide receiver. And then some of the linemen you'll see as well, most notably Isaiah, Elijah Vera Tucker and Rashawn Slater. We'll see what they get listed as. I mean, they'll probably list, they'll, no, he'll say either guard or tackle. So with those two, make sure to look out for those two in regards to what position they get called out as, because that will be very, 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 very key. Okay? Tyson Campbell from Georgia, I've heard he's kind of, getting linked in as a safety as well. So, you know, there's a lot of positional variation in this draft, and that makes it very exciting. I'm very excited to see what happens here. But, yes, Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa is one of my favorite players in this draft. I don't really have a comprehensive list of my favorite players in this draft, but he would definitely be in the top five, okay? Top five easily. I don't know where exactly in the top five. He could be number one. He could be number five. I don't know where he is, but all that matters is he's in the top five. If I'm just looking at the draft right now, if I'm looking at my favorite players 
in the draft. And this isn't necessarily the way I view them as prospects in general. It's just how much I like them as players. Kyle Pitts is probably my favorite player in the draft just because he can play either wide receiver, tight end. He has the body frame, as Daniel Jeremiah said yesterday at his pro day, of a person that could put on 10 more pounds. He weighed 244 or something like that as pro day. Could easily throw on 10 more pounds to get into the two, mid-250s, which would be even more scary than what it already is. And you want to bash him as he can't block, or he's just a wide receiver. He can block. He can. It's not nece- He's not like a George Kill or Rob Gronkowski-esque blocker, but he can still block. He's a very capable blocker. Travis Kelsey is a capable blocker, but is one of the two best tight ends in the NFL right now. Him and Kittle, you could have arguments about which one's better and what you value more from the tight end position. Antonio Gates could block, but he was more of a wide receiver. Kellen Winslow kind of broke the mold of that normal, hard-nosed, block-first tight end mentality. He was really the first wide receiver playing tight end. Kellen Winslow Sr. playing for the Chargers in the mid-80s. Or the eight, just the 80s in general. But Kyle Pitts is easily my favorite player in this draft. I put Trey Lance up there as well. I think his ceiling is very, very high. Love his athleticism. I love how raw he is. I think that's a very appealing trait to have in a draft. And I think I think just seeing Josh Allen mature and develop in Buffalo makes me like Trey Lance even more. And I like the fact that he comes from the FCS schools which people around the nation, the average fan, does not tend to watch FCS football. It's usually FBS or bust for most people around the nation. But going to UNI, watching North Dakota State versus Northern Iowa, and it is fun to see a guy like Trey Lance get talked about as one of the top players in this draft. I love watching Trey Lance play. If you haven't watched Trey Lance play, I would very much recommend the game against Butler his first game as a full-time starter for North Dakota State where he actually torched the Butler Bulldogs defense. Then you can go watch the James Madison game in the national championship, which James Madison is a run-stopping machine at the FCS level. North Dakota State, historically, is the best rushing attack at the FCS level. What did Trey Lance do in that game against James Madison? Rushed for over 1,000 yards in the national championship. Games like that, or why Trey Lance is so fun to watch. I would also throw in Rashawn Slater in this as well, guard-tackle hybrid here. The game against Chase Young, I know this gets talked about a lot in National League for the game to watch, but that's how good of a game it was. Chase Young was a Heisman Trophy finalist, the number two overall pick, and the defensive rookie of the year. Yes, we should be talking about this game, if not more than what we already do, for Rashawn Slater. And he's six foot three, which is not standard size for an offensive tackle. Usually you want your tackle somewhere around the six five, six, six, maybe even six seven range. But that's not stop Slater. He's an absolute beast as an offensive lineman. If he moves in the guard, perfect. If he stays out of tackle, perfect. Even better. Like the I am just I'm ready to see what he can do at the NFL level, regardless of its guard, tackle, or hell, even center. We'll see what he does at the NFL level. Then obviously. Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa, we talked about him, his positional versatility is just awesome. You love to see that kind of player where he can play linebacker, safety, nickel corner, maybe even regular corner. Time will tell. Isaiah Simmons, last year, was my favorite player in the draft. I'm really excited to see where Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa goes 
and then how that defense uses him, how they mold their defense around him and decide where they want to play him because he's so versatile and can make every single play. The word I love using about him, other than a do-everything linebacker, is heat-seeking missile because that's really what he is. That's really what he is, just an absolute heat-seeking missile. He goes wherever his body is, he will destroy. Even being six foot one, 220 pounds or thereabout. Derek Brooks was really the one that really broke that mold of the traditional linebacker size. Because Derek Brooks was the same, was in a similar boat to Jeremiah Wosukoromo, but the Buccaneers took him late first round because the reason he fell that far, even though dominating at Florida State, he was that tweener. And as we've gone through the years of the NFL since that draft, it's kind of been we're getting more progressive, I guess, in looking at our what a player can do for the football team as a whole, not necessarily what the position is. Where back then you would never have drafted a guy like Jeremiah Wosu Koromoa, 220-pound linebacker. You would never have drafted a Kyler Murray or someone like that with the number one overall pick who's 5'9", maybe 5'10". I know he was listed at 5'10 and 1'8 at the combine. He's 5'9", if, if that. You didn't see that back then. Now we're starting to get a little more versatility in these players, and I am, I'm here for it. I am 100% here for it. And as I'm looking through the rest of the list, if I had to come up with my fifth favorite player on here, uh, it's, I mean, it's got to be one of these two people. It's got to be the Quinn Miners from Wisconsin Whitewater or Deontay Brown, the guard from Alabama. Just because, well, we'll start with Miners first. He's that D3 guy that has those Rocky-esque, Rocky Four-esque workouts where he's working out in the wilderness all the time. He's got the Viking hairstyles. He's got all these different moves. It's just so fun to see these smaller school guys get talked about with the big boys of college football. Like, these guys aren't supposed to. You go to a D3 school, you're not expecting to be a top draft pick. You go to these smaller schools because you love to play football, or at least like to play football. You never go there and going, I'm going to be a number one draft pick one day. Now he's not going to be a dra- number one draft pick. He'll, he might not even, probably won't even be a first round draft pick. But second round, third round, like you don't see that all the time. Usually if they make the NFL, they go undrafted from D3 schools. Fred Jackson is the first one that I could think of that comes to my head from a D3 school. Coming from Coe, making his way into the NFL with the Buffalo Bills, having a very successful career with the Bills. I love it. And then Deontay Brown is just the biggest human I've ever seen, or one of them. I know there's bigger humans out there on the off the line, but just watching him play compared to the rest of the Alabama's offensive line. It's like Alabama is historically known for having a good offensive line. But even Alabama, he made their off the line look small. He weighed 260-something pounds playing at Alabama. He's slimmed down 20 pounds, which is very, very cool to see because that means he's dedicated to his diet and getting in a more playing shape. Because he can get away with some of these things in college. That stuff in the NFL kind of gets found out pretty quickly. So it's nice to see that he's willing to cut weight and shows that he's serious to this because after, just as a another example of this, but a different sport is Andy Ruiz. Remember, he's the guy that not who beat Anthony Joshua, who was the golden child of English boxing. 
I know Tyson Fury is the best English boxer right now, but Anthony Joshua had all the brand deals. He was getting talked about everywhere. That's the dude that's going to represent British boxing. But much like Amir Khan before him, he's kind of conned the, the trend of super overrated until he actually boxes somebody. So we'll see if and when Anthony Joshua actually fights Tyson Fury because we don't think that'll actually happen. So it looks like he's running away from him. I think he's even running away from Deontay Wilder. So Anthony Joshua loses to Andy Ruiz at Madison Square Garden. Last second replacement for who Anthony Joshua was going to fight. Andy Ruiz, massive upset. Destroys him, essentially. That's why he's called Andy the Destroyer. He destroys him. The next one comes around and they were in Saudi Arabia or something like that. One of those, what Saudi Arabia or Qatar, one of those two countries. I can't remember exactly which one. Maybe UAE. I can't remember. But Andy Ruiz comes in heavier than what he was at the last Anthony Joshua fight and spent all that time partying and having a good time because he just... He was crowned heavyweight champion of the world. Now, on one side, because in boxing, there's like 20 different belts for each weight class there is. So he was one of the two heavyweight champions of the world at the time. And then Anthony Joshua picks him apart in 12 rounds, wins by unanimous decision, if I remember correctly. And Andy Ruiz, I don't think has fought since, but now he's fight. He's getting back in shape. He's been working with Canelo, one of my favorite boxers. And he looks, I think he's going to be fighting within the next month. But Andy Ruiz, that's the sign of being content with where you are. Like, Andy Ruiz was content of being the champion of the world, heavyweight champion of the world, didn't work for it the second time, and got picked apart by Joshua, even though he didn't get knocked out the second time. He got absolutely destroyed by Anthony Joshua, picked apart the entire time. So now Andy Ruiz has shown he's back and committed to the sport of boxing. He's cut down a ton of weight, which is very cool to see. And working with a guy like Canelo who is probably the pound-for-pound pound best boxer in the world at this point in time, That's very, that shows he's now recommitted himself to boxing. You won a championship, let's celebrate. On one hand, that can be cool, but then you got to go right back in the lab and work at it. Deontay Brown came in at 360, just fresh off a national championship at Alabama, could have easily just stayed at 360 or even gone up from that. No, he cut down to 340, Around 340, 344, I think, was the exact weight that he came in at his pro day. And that's huge. Physically and... <laughs> what, is the, what is the word? Uh, whatever. He came in physically. That means a lot physically and weight-wise as well. And weight for his draft prospects as well. It's a good sign. So those are two other players that I really like in this upcoming draft. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson... They're all up there. Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell. All these guys are up there. But I would say those are my top five. Not necessarily in any order, but those are my top five. So Kyle Pitts, Trey Lance, Rashawn Slater, Jeremiah Wosukoromoa, and then either Quinn Miners or Deontay Brown. So five, six favorite players in the draft. Love those guys. I'm excited to see where they all end up. You got three guarantees in the first round in Pitts, Lance, and Owosu Koromoa. Where Miners and Deontay Brown go, that's a different story. Probably late second, early third round for both of them. They'll probably fall around the similar rate, range. They'll go in the same range around there. But I'm excited. I'm, I'm very excited. We are just under a month 
until the NFL draft. It is April 1st today, so April Fool happy April Fools. Hope you enjoyed yourself today on April Fool's Day. And before we get back into the NFL draft, I would just like to say, I hope the Cubs were playing an April Fool's joke on me today. Because, good lord, my expectations for the Chicago Cubs this season were not very high to begin with. And then when you start the season off against the lowly Pittsburgh Pirates, who are expected by many, including myself, to battle for that number one overall pick in next year's draft. It's between them and probably the Rockies as the two worst teams in baseball. And the Cubs, though the score was only a two-run game, Cubs got absolutely picked apart by the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Cubs, against the Pirates pitching, had two hits in the entire game. And one of them was Eric Sogard, who came in as a pitch hitter. (laughs) Like, this was a terrible game to watch. Rizzo got the other hit in the game. All the Cubs runs were scored on sack bunts. It was just a horrific, horrific game to watch. And the Pirates, it wasn't like the Pirates played a ton better, but they played a lot better than Chicago Cubs. Kyle Hendricks got pulled after three innings. And then if you look at how many walks they gave up, the Cubs gave up 11 walks. And then until Alec Mills came in in the ninth, every pitcher that got went in for the Chicago Cubs had a walk. Kyle Hendricks threw three. Workman threw two. Brothers threw one. Adam threw two. Winkler threw one. Chafin did one. Tepera threw one. And then Alec Mills threw zero. That's not great. Especially when the Pirates walked four. <laughs> and struck out 13. The Cubs, in the game, walked more people than they struck out. They walked 11, struck out 10. (laughs) This was a very painful game to watch. It just wasn't fun. If this is any recipe for what's going to happen for the Cubs the rest of the season, I know baseball is a long season. So before you get all preachy with me, it's like, oh, Logan, don't worry about the baseball. such a long season. I don't care. This was an April Fool's joke. We got played today. It was a miserable game to watch. I was kind of halfway paying attention towards the latter parts of the game because nothing was happening for the Chicago Cubs. There's a third inning. The Cubs' next run came in the eighth, and they weren't getting anything pitching-wise or hitting-wise. So I'm sorry for not really giving my undivided attention to the Chicago Cubs versus the Pittsburgh Pirates today. It got so bad, and the Cubs had about 10,000 fans at Wrigley Field today the fans were cheering for every strike that was thrown. And they weren't, like, happy cheers. They were those sarcastic cheers. They are more jeers than anything. They weren't anything that they were actually happy about. They are like, oh, hey, look at that. They do know how to throw a baseball. So, again, I didn't have incredibly high expectations for the Chicago Cubs going into this season. I said they finished third in the NL Central. I still think that will happen. I have not really... Changed my opinion on them coming third in the division, but I have gone a little bit more sour. I have a little more sour taste in my mouth than I did the day before yesterday. So, so yesterday. <laughs> the day before today, which is yesterday. Yeah, third place is still happening for the Cubs. I don't think they're going to be worse than the Reds. I think they'll finally figure it out against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Pitching is not great. I know they have all these stars on their team, and Baez, Rizzo, Bryant, Contreras... 
I don't know. Ever since last year, something's looked off, and I don't know what it is with them. So hopefully, again, I'm trying to remind myself. So again, you can stop reminding, screaming at your radio, whatever you listen to this on, that it's a long season. I am well aware that it is a long season. I am well aware that it's a long season, but I can still be upset with the start of the season because that start sucked. And there's no, there's a lot of other games going on today, and I hope not every fan in Major League Baseball threw their uh, optimism in the trash can after watching some of the results that took place today. Like, you had the Blue Jays beating the Yankees 3-2. I saw someone tweeting out the Yankees should blow it up. I couldn't tell if he's being sarcastic or not because the Blue Jays, they're going to be a good team. They're going to be a good team, so I'm, I wouldn't be too worried about that. Indians losing the Tigers, that's not great. I think Miguel Cabrera hit the first home run of the season. Congrats to Miggy on sticking it out in Pittsburgh in Detroit as long as he has. <laughs> I don't really think it's by his decisions that he's said they're staying there, but man. Yeah, the Brewers got the first walk-off of the day. They got the 6-5 win over the Minnesota Twins. The Phillies beat the Braves 3-2. The Rays beat the Marlins 1-0. And then we've got a few games tonight, and the Mets-Nats game got postponed due to the Nats having three positive COVID tests. And this is on the eve of Francisco Lindor signing a monster $341 million deal or somewhere around that. I don't know the years, but I saw the numbers. And the numbers are very big. <laughs> they are very, 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 very big numbers. Other games going around in baseball right now, the Diamondbacks and Padres are tied 7-7. We got the Rockies beating the Dodgers at 8-4. The Cardinals beating the Reds 11-6. The Royals are beating the Rangers 10-8 at this point in time. So we've got some high-scoring games in the later stages of today. Every single game has a team, that, or both teams, that have scored over seven runs. Diamondbacks and Padres are an example of the teams that scored over seven runs, both of them. The Rangers and pa- the Rangers and Royals are the other team that have done that. So we get some fun baseball. Hopefully this season is a very, very fun season where you get to see a bunch of mashed dingers going around the park. So that's going to be very, very exciting. You'd love to see dingers getting mashed. Everybody wants to see a good dinger, except for the baseball quote-unquote purists. They don't really like that. They don't like the fact that DHs exist either, which... The Cubs broadcast brought this up today. This will probably be, hopefully be, I shouldn't say probably, hopefully be the last year of pitchers hitting. I want the DH there. It's just a wasted at bat. Now, I know the baseball purists, again, is what we'll call them again, love the idea that, oh, you're taking away the strategy of the game. You got to love how you put in pitch hitters to decide who goes up against which hitter or which pitcher. It's so exciting to figure out what you're going to do, all the strategy is getting taken away from baseball. Sucks. It's not very fun to watch either. <laughs> baseball is one of those sports that is constantly struggling for fan attention. So bringing the pitchers back in the pitch, in the hitting, is not really something that draws fans towards the sport. Kind of pulls them away, in a sense. But yes, hopefully... All in all, I just hope that today was an April Fool's joke with the Chicago Cubs and they were actually going to play very good the next time they play the Pittsburgh Pirates because that's just upsetting <laughs> to see the Cubs lose to the Pirates like that. It's not really That's not the way you want to start off your season if you're a Chicago Cubs fan. The Cubs' next game against the Pirates is on April 3rd if you want to tune into that game. So that'll be pretty fun. Pretty exciting stuff going on in the world of baseball. Baseball is back, baby. Opening day is 
almost every sports fan's favorite day, regardless of your sport. It's everybody's favorite day. I shouldn't say certain sports fans. It should be every sports fan's favorite day. Opening day. And baseball opening day is one of the better opening days in sports. In my opinion. Now, the first weekend of football, that's I would rank it better on my personal list, but I know a lot of people out there love themselves some Major League Baseball opening day. So that was it for our little baseball tidbit. I guess I would like to talk a little bit more about those quarterbacks we talked about earlier, Davis Mills, Kellen Mond, and Kyle Trask. Those are the three quarterbacks that are going to be competing for those top spots in rounds two and three. Some of them, one of them, I would assume one of them might, might slip into that first round. Because all of them are getting talks about, this is going to be a sleeper pick. So those three all could move into round one. Those are the next three quarterbacks on my tier list. I would go, obviously, we've talked about one through five before. It goes Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields on joint two, and then Trey Lance, Mac Jones. And then at number six, I would probably throw Trask. Then seven, I would throw Kellen Mond. And then eight, Davis Mills. Kyle Trask, I think, is getting the similar treatment of that of Mac Jones, except for the fact he's a lot less athletic than Mac Jones, like we said earlier. But Kyle Trask is an absolute hose for an arm, and I don't want to see him getting bashed as much as he is for his lack of athleticism. Now, dude balled out. This year, he came fourth in the Heisman Trophy race, came second in the nation in pass. He went 4,283 yards, 43 touchdowns, which led the nation, and had eight interceptions, only eight. 43 touchdowns, eight interceptions on the season, completed almost 70% of his passes, completed about 69% of his passes, LOL, funny word, nice. Kyle Trask will be a second-round pick. Same, with, I, w- I would assume with the other ones, but they're more athletic than Kyle Trask, so they're more appealing to the national viewing audience than a Kyle Trask, because that's the direction the NFL seems to be going, is the more mobile quarterback, the era of... Peyton Manning's and Tom Brady's and Phillip Rivers, Eli Manning's, those are all slowly dying out. Slowly. It's it's still around where you have less mobile quarterbacks doing very well in the NFL, but the, the era of more athletic can make multiple plays all over the field is starting to get ushered in as we've had quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, all these guys are that new era of quarterback. Cam Newton even in there as well, even though him and Russell are the older of that generation of quarterback. But I mean, It's exciting. It's very exciting. Football getting more exciting with more exciting players at the quarterback position. Now, Davis Mills, he kind of surprised some people with how fast he ran his pro day. He ran a 4-5-8-40, which is fairly impressive for a quarterback. It's above average. The average quarterback speed, I would guess, around a 4.75, if I had to guess. That's including everybody in the NFL. I would assume that's the average. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would assume 4.75 or somewhere around that would be the average for 40-yard dash time. But 4.58 is not that bad. That's a fairly good 40 <laughs> for any position, let alone quarterback. And Davis Mills is one of those quarterbacks, and this is just screams unathleticism, or unathletic, is the quarterbacks that wear the baggy sleeves. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, they were 
pros at wearing baggy sleeves. Sam Bradford, Philip Rivers, though they were shorter sleeves, were still not cuffed sleeves. Those quarterbacks, you don't when you see a quarterback with the long sleeves, instantly your mind goes straight to, oh, that dude can't play. Tony Romo had it, or not play, but he's really slow. He can't move. That does not scream confidence in your athletic ability if you have the baggy sleeves. Tom Brady kind of has baggy sleeves as well. You don't really want that. It's like a red flag, even though it's like a stigma now for quarterbacks if you had baggy sleeves. Jacoby Brissett, another one, can't really move that well. Davis Mills had that. And then ran a 4 5 8 40. Now, Davis Mills, if I remember correctly, was in a. He was in. I think the Sam Darnold to attack of Iola recruiting class. That could be wrong. I think he might have. Those two, I don't know if we're in the same class because there's two drafts between them. But Sam Darnold's around the same. I don't know. He's in another, a few other really good quarterbacks recruiting class. And he is on the thought process that he is the best quarterback in that draft class. So, or in recruiting class. So confidence is not short with Davis Mills. Now, Davis Mills has been a part of a not so good. Stanford Cardinal team, he beat out K.J. Costello, transferred to Mississippi State this past season, and had, I shouldn't say had, he had pretty much had no success over at Mississippi State this past season. He got benched towards the latter parts of the season. But Davis Mills, I mean, all right numbers, 50, 1,500 yards, seven touchdowns, three interceptions. Last year, they went 4-2 and two in a very shortened Pac-12 season. And, yeah. I mean, you couldn't get really a lot about Davis Mills from last season, even the season before. He only started, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games and won three of them, which is not ideal. And went 11 touchdowns, five interceptions, clean about 66% of his passes for 12, about 2,000 yards. Decent numbers. 6'4", 225, good size for a quarterback and can move a little bit as he showed in his 40-yard dash time that he can run straight line speed really well. It's very fast when he runs in a straight line in his underwear. And then Kellen Mond, who kind of got propped up in a lot of people's minds because they saw Chris Sims' quarterback rankings and they saw him at number four above Trey Lance and Justin Fields, which surprised a ton of people because Kellen Mond was kind of like the school he went to, Texas A&M. Or not Texas A&M because they were actually pretty good these past couple seasons, but Tennessee more so where they get talked about all the time as Heisman candidates or top 10 teams, like, oh, don't you should expect a lot from this player, this team this year, and then not really reach that expectation of, oh, he's not in a Heisman race. Oh, Tennessee's not a top, not even a top 25 team. But Kellen Mond put up some good numbers last year. 19 touchdowns, three picks, 2,800 or 2,200 yards last season. Strong arm, can move, got the size, six foot three, 217 pounds, Season before, every season, other than this year, which was a shortened season, he had almost 20 touchdowns, 19, 20, 24 touchdowns in his years as a starter for Texas A&M. Completion percentage went up every single year, which is good. And the, his attempts from his sophomore to junior year jumped up as well, and he still had a higher completion percentage. So that shows he's been working on his accuracy, getting his footwork down and all that stuff. Showed off a nice little arm that he had, which everybody knew. He had a really good arm going into his pro day. And then start. everybody started to do those Zach Wilson-esque throws in the pro day. You saw Justin Fields do it. You saw Kellen Mond do it. I'm pretty sure 
Uh, Mac Jones attempted to do one. Kellen Mont or uh, Kyle Trask, I think, had one throw like that. But yes, all in all, these are good quarterbacks. These are the guys that if your team doesn't draft a quarterback, so say, like, if we had to pick teams that probably won't draft one in the first round, the Bears, the Washington football team, maybe the Saints. They, hey, the Saints could even be one of those teams that one of these guys falls to in the first round. They pick 28th. Maybe the Saints toy around with that idea of getting Kellen Mond, Kyle Trask, or Davis Mills. Maybe that happens. Maybe the Patriots do this. Maybe the Broncos do this. You're getting a quarterback in the later rounds. The Falcons could do it. The 49ers, if they want to shock everybody if they're trading up the draft, Kyle Pitts, and <laughs> then take a Kellen Mond later in the draft. But yes, this is going to be exciting. The Buccaneers could be another team in there as well. You know, you never know what the Packers, they could do. They could fall right back into that thing as well. But yeah, these guys are good quarterbacks. And I wanted to do that thing that we did a few weeks ago with Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, and Justin Fields. Do the thing with the Daryl Jeremiah quarterback checklist, poise, decision-making, accuracy, playmaking, toughness, and leadership. I'm going to start off with leadership. I'm going to give that one to Kyle Trask. More so on the fact that I think Kyle Trask's story is one of my favorites in the draft of being a high school backup. Being the backup quarterback to Derek King is not nothing to be sniffed at because Derek King is an excellent quarterback in his own right, now playing for Miami, set records at Houston, now basically carried Miami. He was the only thing they really had on offense last year. They had some good defenders, but offensively he was pretty much keeping the offense going. But Kyle Trask went to Florida, which doesn't really happen a lot. A high school quarterback backup goes to a D1 program, the level of Florida, and then Felipe Franks was there. Felipe Franks gets injured, I think, against Kentucky two years ago or the game before Kentucky. And then Kyle Trask comes in and nails down the starting job. So he went from backup in high school to starter at Florida, which doesn't really happen that much. And then this season gets talked about in the Heisman Trophy race. Balls out against Ole Miss. That was the game that really put Kyle Pitts on the map as far as a top NFL prospect. He was getting talked about a little bit. But that Ole Miss game, I brought this up a few times on the show. That Ole Miss game was freaking awesome. If you want to watch offensive efficiency at its finest, watch Ole Miss versus Florida last year. Florida was on another level. Now, if you want to watch defense, don't watch it. Wasn't a great defensive game going on in this one. But, man, Trask, six passing touchdowns in the game, four of them to Kyle Pitts, 170 receiving yards for Kyle Pitts. Kadarius Toney, Almost had 60 yards receiving in the game, 59 in total with one touchdown there as well. Also led Florida in rushing with 55 yards rushing in the game. And also had 40 yards receiving as, or kick returning as well. This game was freaking awesome. <laughs> if you, this game, I went on Cole's show afterwards. This was the day, uh, what game was this? I, there was some Iowa State game going on and I didn't watch it. I told Cole I was watching Florida and Ole Miss, and I got roasted for it because I had a radio show in the state of Iowa. You kind of got to talk about the schools, and I was like, I don't care. I want to watch Florida versus Ole Miss. I love Kyle Trask. I want to see what they do against Ole Miss, and Mike. Uh, I almost said Mike Leach. Lane Kiffin being there, and they dominated. Florida put on an offensive show. Now, the scoreline is a little generous to Ole Miss. I don't think it was that close. Ole Miss put up 14 points in the fourth quarter to make it a little bit closer. But, man, now Elijah Moore, who gets talked about a lot near the first round, 
He had a fantastic game in this as well. 227 yards receiving for Elijah Moore. So if you want to watch a game full of first-round prospects, you got three on Florida, one for Ole Miss, watch it. All of them had great games. Kadarius Toney had over 100 yards total offense. Kyle Pitts had four receiving touchdowns. Trask had six passing touchdowns. Elijah Moore had almost 230 yards receiving. Next year, you're going to have Matt Corral somewhere in the draft as well. He had three passing touchdowns with almost 400 yards passing. So defense, not really a thing in this game. But I think watching Florida, who had expectations last season, so the season, well, I guess two seasons ago when Felipe Franks was starter, they were expected to compete for a natty this season, and they were. They did do just that. They competed for it, and then the last half of the season against LSU, against Alabama, the LSU game there, I mean, the offense was unfair to lose. Florida's player, one of their defenders chucked a shoe down the field, got LSU a little bit momentum, and they ended up winning the game on a last-second field goal. Florida was a little unfair to lose that one, and then losing to Bama, hurt against Mac Jones, but that was a great game to watch as well, and then getting shafted by Oklahoma was another game that didn't feel very good. And if you want to compare Trask and Kellen Mond, they played each other and both had some good performances as well. Threw for seven touchdowns between the pair, over 700 or just under 700 yards passing between the pair as well. Fun game to watch. Oh, jeez. Fun one to watch. Florida versus Texas A&M. But Trout Trask's story, I think, and how... He really pushed Florida a lot. I would give him the leadership one. Kellen Mond, I think I would lean towards in the toughness category. All these quarterbacks, I think, are pretty tough. I don't really have a real reasoning for picking Kellen Mond. I know he's the most mobile out of these guys, so by result, he's taken the most hits. So I would give Kellen Mond the toughness one. Playmaking, I'm good to Kellen Mond as well. Again, most mobile. Has a very strong arm. Between, it's between him and Kyle Trask on whose arm is stronger between the pair. But again, Mond can move. So that hurts Kyle Trask in that regard. Accuracy. Accuracy. Give that to Kyle Trask. It's the most accurate one in the class. But also, again, the least most... Not in the class. I, I didn't mean to say class. He's the most accurate out of these quarterbacks. These ones. Now, Kellen Mond and Davis Mills improved on their accuracy each year, at least their completion percentage-wise, which is not the overriding... 100% nailed on statistic for accuracy. It's a good measurement for accuracy, but it shouldn't be nailed on as this guy is not accurate based on his completion percentage because that, there's a lot of factors that go into completion percentage. When you're spiking the ball, that counts as incompletion as well. So if you're trying to waste or save time and spike the ball, that's a incompletion right there. Drop passes counts as incompletion. We don't know how accurate of a throw it actually was, but I'd give that one to Kyle Trask. Decision-making, uh, I don't know. Decision-making, I think I might just give to all three. I might give to all, all pretty decent decision-makers. Neither None of them have really had a big mark against them in regards to interceptions to touchdowns. Probably give that one to... Probably give it to Kellen Mond based on last year. 19 touchdowns, three interceptions is pretty good. Kyle Trask threw... Eight interceptions and three in the last game of the season. So I think decision-making, you could edge that one towards Kellen Mond. And I feel kind of bad for leaving Davis Mills off this. I'm going to put that one down to not watching as much Davis Mills as opposed to Kellen Mond and Kyle Trask. 
So I apologize if I, if you're a Davis Mills fanboy out there or fangirl or just a Stanford fan. I have not done my due diligence on watching as much Davis Mills as I have. As I can, I have watched Davis Mills before. And out of these three quarterbacks, he's played on the worst team. I know Stanford had a decent season last year, again, going 4-2. and two, But over the past few seasons, they've kind of struggled a little bit. But I like Davis Mills' attitude in regards to, I think I'm the best no matter who's in front of me. Now, that can hurt him. Obviously, we've seen that with Josh Rosen hurt him a little bit. But I don't know if that will affect Davis Mills that much. Again, Pac-12 games as well are also on really late. They're on about 9 o'clock here. SEC games are on a little bit earlier, around noon for SEC games, or 11 for SEC games. So I apologize if I'm not giving Davis Mills the credit that he does deserve in this. But I do like the other two quarterbacks, I would say, more. But I don't want to sound like I'm completely bashing Davis Mills on this list. Because even though I haven't said his name, I've just seen a lot more of Kellen Mond and Kyle Trask, okay? And then Poise, probably going to give that to Trask. For being as immobile he was, as he is, he stands in the pocket very well, which I guess comes he comes by naturally. <laughs> but just seeing him take hits in the pocket, stand in there, take hits, rifle balls down the field. Go watch his game against Arkansas for his ball placement. That is one of the best games. That was against Felipe Franks, the quarterback that he ultimately took the job from. Of course, Felipe Franks transferred to Arkansas, got hurt, again, got hurt while he was at Florida, transferred to Arkansas, Kyle Trask took off. Felipe Franks had a decent year, I guess. He's getting talked about a little bit as a late-round draft pick, if that, but he'll be around the... He'll be day three, easily day three, probably rounds five through seven. I don't know about fourth, but five through seven would be Felipe Franks, probably six through seven, if we're being 100% honest. But Kyle Trask beat him. In that game, and threw some beautiful balls in that game to all different receivers. You look at the stats of Kyle Trask in that game against the Arkansas Razorbacks. Almost forgot what their their name was. That was one of the the best games you could have watched as a quarterback fan was Kyle Trask in this game. Six passing touchdowns in the game for Kyle Trask. Also put up a monstrous eight yards rushing. And he did this without Kyle Pitts. Yeah. He dominated. Trayvon Grimes, 109 yards receiving, two touchdowns this game. Xavier Henderson, 62 yards and a touchdown. Kadarius Toney, 57 yards receiving in the game as well. It was an awesome game to watch. And they wore those orange uniforms, which I'm impartial about. But that game was awesome to watch. Those highlights were on Twitter for hours. I was texting Cole, who I did Cole and Company with, just after every single touchdown he threw. I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. This was around the time where it looked like it was between Kyle Trask and Mac Jones for the Heisman. Then towards the end of the season, we started hearing more about Devontae Smith winning the Heisman, which he ultimately did. But man, Kyle Trask, he had a historic season for Florida. And I hate the fact that he's quote-unquote immobile is hurting him in this draft process. But I think that's, what is that, tied 3-3 three to three to Kellen Mond and Kyle Trask. Very similar quarter. I would I give the edge, even though they tied on that, give the edge to Kyle Trask in that. But if you want a more mobile quarterback, go with Kellen Mond and Davis Mills in that. If you want to bash him for his lack of mobility, it's fair. It's fair to do that, which I guess it's not fair to do that, but for if however you value quarterbacks, it's fair. 
I guess. Does that make sense? Probably not. So on the last thing I want to talk about today, I saw this on an ESPN show. It popped up on my YouTube recommended today, which is weird how this popped up because I don't watch ESPN videos on YouTube. I rarely watch ESPN in general, but <laughs> but this popped up. It was Bart Scott, former Jets linebacker, and uh, crap, Duke point guard, that Jay Williams, and then there was someone else on this sh- the show as well. And they wanted Bart Scott to go over the top five worst top five picks in NFL history for quarterbacks. Now, I didn't go that far back through NFL history. Now, he did recent quarterbacks, which makes sense because there's a lot of really bad quarterbacks in recent memory for the top five. I went back to 97, capped it off at 97 because that was the year I was born, and did top 10, and did a list of 10 quarterbacks in the draft. So here are the candidates that I think since 1997 that you could put in on this list. Got Ryan Leaf, obviously one there. Tim Couch, Achilles Smith coming from the 99 draft. David Carr and Joey Harrington from 02. Vince Young and Matt Leinart from 06. Jamarcus Russell, 07. Mark Sanchez, 09. Jake Locker and Blaine Gabbert from 2011. Blake Borles from 2014. Mitchell Trubisky from 2017. Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen, 2018. And possibly Daniel Jones, 2019 draft. I'm not going to put anybody I know. People are hating on Tua Tagovailoa a little bit. I'm not going to throw him in there yet. He's only played one year in the NFL. We're kind of getting an idea of what Daniel Jones will be in the NFL, but we still got a little bit. So I didn't include him in the top 10. I just wanted to include him as a candidate. So we've got what? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 possible candidates. So here is my top 10. At number 10, we put Mark Sanchez. The Sanchez. Uh, drafted fifth overall to USC. I loved Mark Sanchez coming out of college, or just at college, at USC. Fun quarterback to watch. He was a one-and-done person, like one year starting and then going up to the NFL, but put up some good numbers in college in his one year as the full-time starter at USC. 34 touchdowns, 10 picks. Pretty impressive stuff. And then his first two years in the league goes to -to back-to-back AFC championship games. Like, how the hell was that supposed to happen? Mark Sanchez, he was the first quarterback to win, what, uh, four playoff series on the road? Like, it's, I don't know how the hell that was allowed to happen, but didn't play great. I think everybody knows Bart Scott, who I mentioned earlier, and the defense were the main reasons the Jets went as far as they did. Then you had running games back then with Sean Green, Matt, um, not Matt Jones, who's the running back? Played for the Bears too, Jones, Thomas Jones, and LaDainian Tomlinson, we're very big in this run game as well. And then once everybody started to fail, kind of go out, Mark had a good year. His third year, 26 touchdowns, 18 interceptions, which is all right for his level. He had a bunch of career highs that year, but completed only 56% of his passes. And then his last year, the Jets, 13 touchdowns, 18 picks. Finished his career with more interceptions than touchdowns, a sub 57% completion percentage. Not great. But the thing that kept him as low as 10 is the fact that he's gone to multiple AFC championship games. Next one, number nine, is David Carr. I feel bad for putting David Carr on here because of how much he got hit his first year in the NFL. David Carr got sacked more times in the NFL than some people do in their entire careers. (laughs) If they have short careers, that is. David Carr got sacked 76 times. His rookie year, 76. So when the 
NFL introduced the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Tennessee Titans to the NFL, or Jacksonville Jaguars, the Carolina Panthers, the NFL. They dominated their first two years, their first few years in the league. Panthers went to a Super Bowl. The Jaguars were a perennial AFC challenger. They went 15 and one or 14 and two in a few seasons. But then they changed it. For when the Browns came in and then the Texans came in, the rules were changed so they couldn't stack the drafts because that's what the Panthers and the Jaguars did and got very good players out of this. They kind of screwed the system a little bit. The Texans couldn't do that. So they got David Carr with the number one overall pick, sacked 76 times. He's been sacked 267 times. His second to last year in Houston, he got sacked 68 times. Like, I feel bad for David Carr. I don't really... I, he doesn't get talked about as much in bust category, but I just feel so... I think everybody has a connected feeling bad for David Carr because how much he got sacked in Houston. Number eight, Matt Leinert, got drafted 10th overall by the Cardinals or around there, and then got beat out by Kurt Warner, who just left the New York Giants, where it was looked like, oh, he's just going to be a career backer for the rest of his year. He had a good time in St. Louis, and then kind of struggled in New York, got beat out by Eli, and then they got put on Arizona, and then that was it, pretty much. But Matt Leinart got beat out, got hurt, and he just never got any... Yeah, it just wasn't good for Matt Leinart in the NFL. Should have come out the season before, because he would have been the number one overall pick. Instead, got drafted 7th or 10th. I can't remember which one. Number 7, Jake Locker. One of the surprises of the 2011 draft class. Drafted, what, 7th, 8th overall by the Tennessee Titans, or traded up to get him, and... Nothing worked out. He retired like two or three years after his NFL career began. Never really got his feet on the ground. He was kind of a, I don't know. I never really was really a big fan of Jake Locker at Washington, but you could see the tools that he had. He was working with less talent around him. So that was kind of what got him up. I think people were surprised they got drafted before Jake Locker. I don't actually, I don't think, I know that was a fact that people were surprised about that. And it showed throughout the rest of his career as, Probably shouldn't have been drafted, let alone number eight. Shouldn't have been drafted in the first round in general. Number six, Tim Couch. He was the quarterback of the restart Browns. Similar thing to David Carr. He just got beat up so much in his first few seasons in Cleveland. So much so that he hated Cleveland (laughs) after he was done. Because the Browns fans, after one time he got hurt, cheered after he got hurt. Tim Couch was a similar story of that of Trevor Lawrence, though, of where we crowned him as the number one overall pick. Before he even really got his feet on the ground in college, Trevor Lawrence was that as after his freshman year at Clemson. Tim Couch was after his freshman year at Kentucky. So I threw him at six out of sympathy for Tim Couch because of how much he got beat up in Cleveland. Number five, I got Chosen Rosen, Josh Rosen. Uh, you could say I feel bad for Josh Rosen, but I don't. I feel partially bad, but I don't at the same time. You can't come into the NFL and say there are nine mistakes taken in front of me and then proceed to get traded after your first year with the team. And then now you've been on four teams in three years. You're on the 49ers, but you ain't starting there because they're drafting a quarterback at number three. So didn't even get off the practice squad of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He has sucked his entire time in the NFL. His attitude sucked when he came into the league. So that's what we call karma because now he seems to kind of have his attitude in check to a certain extent, but yeah, he's just, nah. He's one of the worst draft picks, drop 10 draft picks ever, and hyped draft picks as well. Number four, Joey Harrington. He was on the cover of one of the NCAA games. I can't remember exactly which one, but this is the first time that we've had two quarterbacks from the same draft class pop up on this list. You had 
David Carr got drafted first overall, and then Joey Harrington was drafted third overall. And he didn't have a lot of success in Detroit. He kind of sucked balls in Detroit. Let's just put it like that. 85 interceptions to 79 touchdowns. Completed 56% of his passes. Similar stat lines to that of Mark Sanchez, which is not great, but the difference is he didn't get anywhere close to the, the championship games, let alone the playoffs. So, yeah, he's he's number four on this list. Number three, similar same draft class as Tim Couch, is Akili Smith. Yeah, he didn't really work out in Cincinnati. The Browns were supposedly between Akili Smith and Tim Couch and just overlooked Donovan McNabb completely, who was the easily the best quarterback of the three. And Akili Smith, 46% completion percentage, 13 touchdowns, five picks. Not great. Not great stuff. Only, only played a max number of 12 games. In his career, played only 22 games. Just didn't never really got going in Cincinnati. It never worked out. And then he was the one that got replaced, essentially, by Carson Palmer, who won the Heisman from USC, who they drafted number one overall. Yeah, Keely Smith wasn't great. And then the battle for the top spot. I think we just have a joint one here. Ryan Leaf and Jamarcus Russell, joint number one on this list. Jamarcus Russell has the, I think it was the biggest contract a rookie ever got in NFL history. Ryan Leaf was compared, it was between him and Peyton Manning, which is crazy to look back in hindsight that the Colts even had thoughts about that being Peyton Manning or Ryan Leaf. That one didn't work out. He flopped out of the NFL for a lot of different related issues, not just on the field, but a lot of off the field things too. Jamarcus Russell, like we talked about with Andy Ruiz, got to the league, got content, got fatter. Instead of losing weight, got a lot fatter and saw him eventually get kicked out of the NFL. And also the Raiders didn't want anybody to wear number two for a few years after Jamarcus Russell left the NFL. Terrell Pryor had to wear six because they wouldn't let him wear number two. So I don't want to give a number one spot to either one of those guys. I think they both deserve it. I think they both deserve it. So the top 10 going from one to 10, Ryan Leaf and Jamarcus Russell at joint number one, then Achilles Smith, Joey Harrington, Josh Rosen, Tim Couch, Jake Locker, Matt Leiner, David Carr, and Mark Sanchez. So, yes, that is all I've got for you for this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Reminder, Mock Drafts 5.0 will be out on Monday, so make sure you stay tuned for that. I have been your host with the most, Logan Blackman. Go follow the Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media. Go subscribe to the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and I will see you on Monday with Mock Draft 5.0. Peace.